Well, I want us to continue in the Gospel of Mark today. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. When you think about Jesus feeding a multitude, we talk about Jesus feeding the how many thousand? Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's what we almost always think of immediately. But a lot of people don't know that there was another time after Jesus fed the 5,000 that he fed another 4,000. So that's what we're going to look at today, the feeding of the 4,000 men and their families. And uh, let me tell you, if this uh, aisle here was the Jordan River, and uh, that was north, I know it's not, but, but if that was north, and I'm standing down here at the Dead Sea, at the bottom of the, I'm in the southern part of Israel, then if you were to look at, let this be the river, the Jordan River, and uh, over on this side is Israel. The Mediterranean Sea is over that way. And, uh, and then this is mainly the land of Israel. This is where the Jewish people lived. Over on this side is uh, Gentile territory. This is where the Gadarene demoniac that we talked about, when they talk about crossing the sea, they were not, not talking about the Dead Sea. Right back here in the middle is the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, everything on this side is Gentile territory. The, the Gadarene demoniac lived over here, and, uh, and then the other, the, what's called the Decapolis, the ten cities that was over on this side. And very few Jewish people lived over there, and very few Gentile people, non-Jewish people, lived over on this side. So most of the ministry of Jesus was done over on this side. And the feeding of the 5,000 was done over on this side. If we go to Israel someday, you'll actually go to the, the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. You go and stand on this uh, uh, hillside uh, looking down to the Sea of Galilee, and they'll say, you know, this is where Jesus uh, uh, fed the 5,000. The Bible tells us the grass was very green and everything like that was very nice. Just a beautiful, beautiful place. That's where he fed the 5,000. And then most of his ministry was on this side of the Jordan River. And, and then last week, or week before last, we looked and saw that he went on up to the area of Tyre and Sidon, which is far, far up in the north. And he ministered there. Remember, he healed a I mean, uh, 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 the Syrophoenician woman's uh, uh, child that was demon-possessed. And then the Bible says that he crossed, and he went, of course, to talk, talk about crossing the river. When you're up that far, it's actually just a stream. You can actually jump across the Jordan River when you're up far enough to the north. In fact, when my wife and I were there, uh, we did that. I actually said, you know, I want to jump across the Jordan River. And so I did. You know, you had no idea you had a pastor with such strong legs, did you, that I was able to jump across the Jordan River. But if you go far enough up, it's just a stream. And then, of course, as the tributaries join it, it gets wider and wider. And uh, But Jesus went across the Jordan River, went over into Gentile territory, and he comes down over on this other side. He comes all the way down to the southern end of the Sea of Galilee, and he's in this area, and that's where our story takes place today. And as Jesus is uh, moving and teaching, a great crowd of people begin to follow him. By the way, where did that crowd come from? These are Gentile people. 
These are not Jewish people. These are not people who understood about the, the, uh, the promises to Abraham and everything like that. These are mostly Gentile people. And, you know, back earlier in the Gospel of Mark, we read about how Jesus went over to, the, to this side, and there was a man there who was demon-possessed. He was living out in the tombs, and he was cutting himself and screaming and everything, and they'd chain him up, and he'd break the chains. He was a wild and crazy guy. And, uh, and Jesus met him, and, or he came running to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. And he cast the demons out of him. And, and then that man said, I want to go with you. Let me be one of your disciples. Let me travel with you. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go back home. And I want you to tell everybody you meet the great things that God has done for you. And, you know, I believe that's what happened. I believe this guy goes back. He's the only believer in Jesus on this side of the Jordan River. And he goes, he begins to tell everybody. Everybody knew him. I mean, he was a wild and crazy guy. And whenever he would start coming to somebody's house, they'd probably all gather the kids in and say, hey, hey, get back, here comes a crazy guy. And, uh, and, and then he gets there and he says, hey, let me tell you, I'm not crazy anymore. I'm actually okay now. And they say, wow, you sound okay. Yeah, I, look. I'm not cutting myself anymore. I'm not screaming and crying, scaring all the kids. I'm okay. They say, how'd that happen? Well, you're going to find this hard to believe, but I was out there, and Jesus, a man named Jesus from across the river, he cast all the demons out of me. As a matter of fact, he cast them into a bunch of pigs, and it's the first case of deviled ham. And... and, (laughs) Well, excuse me. And he said, and, and it was amazing. Uh, and, and all those pigs, they went crazy like I used to be crazy. And they all run off down the river, down the uh, bank and jumped in the lake and, and they drowned. And they said, wow. That's a, and who was it did that for you? It's a guy named Jesus. He was born up here. I mean, he lived up here in Nazareth, but he's been preaching all across down the, uh, in, in Galilee. And, and they said, wow, we'd like to know more about him. Well, I'll tell you what I know. And then they be, he began to tell everybody. And that's exactly what, what we ought to be doing. I mean, has God done something great for you? Amen. And so we ought to be going and saying to people, let me tell you, what happened to me? A friend of mine, ours in Memphis, Tennessee, named Shad Williams. And Shad Williams was a, a rock and roll singer and a drug, uh, druggy and a weird, crazy guy. He was about as bad as the Gadarene demoniac, I think. And, uh, and, and all of his rock and roll friends, they all were just like him. And uh, maybe not all of them, but most of them. And... Uh, and he got saved. And I mean, he just got radically converted to Jesus. And he goes back to all of his rock and roll friends. And he begins to tell them what Jesus had done for him. And they said, well, you know, we, we don't really believe the Bible. We don't. He said, well, you know what? I don't care whether you believe the Bible or not. I want you to believe that you can see the change in me. And he said, you can deny God 
You can deny the Bible, but you can't deny the change in me. And do you know he ended up leading many of his friends to Christ? Did y'all know Shad Williams? Yeah. He actually lived right out kind of in the area where y'all live. Uh, and we had him come to Halls one time when I was pastoring at Halls. We had him. He brought a whole group of ex-druggy weird people with him. And uh, they said it was the first time a guitar had ever been played in the First Baptist Church of Halls. Some of the older women, I think, went apoplexic, and they they just couldn't believe we had a guitar in the church, you know. And uh, then they had, we had one guy, his hair was down almost to his, the calves of his leg. He, he looked like uh, Legolas in Lord of the Rings, and uh, he played a flute, and, uh, and they asked him to give his testimony. He'd just been saved about six months, and he said, well... I don't know. I never have given a testimony. He said, all I can say is, that Jesus, he's something else. And uh, we had a great, great meeting that week. Uh, I think that was about when they decided I was going to have to leave Halls whenever uh, we had that group come. But I just think, God has done that for you. You say, well, but I I wasn't weird like that. Well, not that you know of, but... uh, you say, well, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a druggie. I wasn't all that. Well, that's great. That's great. But let me tell you, it did not take any more of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus to save Shad Williams than it did to save you. And if you got saved when you were six years old and have lived for Jesus, then hallelujah for that. But I want to tell you, you were just as sinful in God's sight at age six, before you got saved, as Shad Williams or the Gadarene demoniac or anybody else. And you're just as clean in God's sight now, since you've been washed with the blood of Jesus, as any, as Billy Graham or anybody else, okay? All right, now, I haven't even got into my sermon yet, have I? So, uh, all right. So let me read the text. Uh, this is uh, Mark chapter 8. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat. By the way, these people have been following Jesus and out there with him for days, three days. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they've now continued with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. They've come from a long distance. And then his disciples answered Jesus and said, Well, how can, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? What can we do about that? And Jesus said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And so Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks. And he broke them and he gave them to his disciples and set them before them. And they set them before the multitude. 
They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate. And they were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And then Jesus sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples. They went back across the the lake to the region of Dalmanutha. And uh, so that's the story. That's the text. Uh, Seven things that I see in this. There's a lot more probably. But I see here... Here's the way I've thought of this message. I could preach on it one of two ways today. I could preach on it based on what happened then. And, but the application I want to make to it today, to us today, is seeing how this story can relate to us today. Okay? In the first place, there was a multitude of hungry people. And I want to tell you, all around us today, there is a multitude of starving people. Now, they're not starving for bread because they've got McDonald's and they've got Chick-fil-A and they've got Whataburger and they've got... So nobody around us is starving physically. But I want to tell you, there are people right around us. I mean, within a half mile of where we're worshiping this morning who are starving spiritually. They are trying to fill themselves with all kinds of stuff that never can satisfy. And it's about Shad Williams a while ago. He said, you know, he tried for years through all kinds of drugs and alcohol and illicit behavior, trying to fill something empty inside of him. And he said, I I could never get it. He said, in fact, it would be like, Whatever I did, I just needed more of it. And that's the way it works, isn't it? You know, sin will never satisfy. In fact, if anything, it becomes an appetizer. And the more you sin, the more you feel like you need to sin to, uh, to, to, to try to satisfy. But nothing satisfies. And so there's unsatisfied, hungry people all around us. And just like there was with Jesus on that particular time. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them. The word compassion, the word passion, the Greek word for passion is the word for suffer. Many of you saw the the passion of Christ. Uh, Mel Gibson's movie, that word doesn't mean passion like a, uh, I have a passion for bluebell or something like that. But it's the word that means to suffer, the sufferings of Christ. Compassion means to suffer with, to feel the pain of other people. And Jesus looked at these 4,000 people and he said, I see how hungry they are and I feel what they feel. And he had compassion. I'll tell you, we will never be the ministering church and you will never be the ministering person that God wants us to be as long as we're looking at our sufficiency for ourselves. 
You understand what I mean? As long as I'm thinking about, well, I'm okay, I'm not ever going to have compassion. I have compassion when I look out at other people and I see they're not okay. And I don't judge them. I don't, I don't condemn them. I don't look at them and say they're bad. I look at them and say they're needy. They're hungry. And the things they're doing that I don't do is an attempt to fill a hunger that, I, that, that, that they don't know how to fill. And so if I look at them with disdain and disgust and anger, I won't ever have compassion on them. But when I look at them and I say, these are hungry people, then I can have compassion. That's exactly what Jesus did. He looked on them and he saw he had compassion. The next thing that I see was that he was sensitive to their need. So I just put sensitivity to need. They, and if we look out at people today, and it's so easy for us to judge people, isn't it? So easy for us to criticize people. So easy for us to look at people who are living differently than we do and to, to almost feel uh, anger at them. And let me just tell you something. Any person that you look at, that you judge, condemn, and are angry with, if you would just say this, if it were not for God's grace, I could be that person. I could be that person. And then you will feel a greater sensitivity and you think, if I were that person, if I were living a life of emptiness, a life of, uh, of uh, drug addiction, if I were living like that, what would I want somebody else to do for me? And you would not want them to judge you, condemn you, and be angry at you. And so Jesus had compassion. He had sensitivity to their need. And then he said to his disciples, uh, we, need to, we need to take care of this. And his disciples said, well, how? How can we do that? And they began to, to f- try to figure it out. And that maybe maybe that you've been there. You look out at people who are not Christians and you think, "Well, I just don't know how. How can I how can I help them?" You ever think like that? I do. Yeah. I look out at at the people and I think, "Well, I just don't know how to help them. I don't even know if they want help or not." And by the way, there may have been some of these people who were following, who were out there listening to Jesus, and maybe they were being critical and and doubtful. Not all of them were believers for sure. But Jesus didn't say, well, I'll help them if if they're genuine, sincere people. No. He said, I'll help them because they're hungry people. That makes sense. And so, so the disciples said, well, we don't know what to do. I felt that way before. I have felt like I, I just I don't know how to help. 
how can I feed so many people? And I began to try to figure it out. And that's what the disciples did. They began to figure rather than faith. And so then Jesus said to them, well, what do you have? What do you have? They said, well, not much. We got seven little loaves of bread. And it wasn't even big loaves. These are, these are just little, little tiny loaves of bread. We got seven pieces of bread and, and a few fish. But Jesus said, that's good. And I want to tell you something. Jesus says to you and to me, when we think about all the need in the world and all the need around us, he says, what do you have? Well, I, I don't have much. Well, all right. Use what you do have. What do you have? Jesus said to I mean, God said to Moses one time when he said, Moses, I want you to go lead all the people, my people out of bondage. And Moses said, well, I can't do that. I, how am I going to do that? And God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? So I've just got a stick. Okay. God says, now, devote that stick to me and, and throw it down. And Moses threw it down. And what? It turned into a snake. And Moses turned to start to run from it, which is what I would have done. And God said, no, wait a minute. Now pick it up. What? Pick it up by the tail. Uh, well, Lord, the business end is going to be on the other end, you know. He says, you pick it up. And Moses picked it up by the tail, and it turned into a, sh- uh, a stick again, turned into a shepherd's staff again. And God said, now, Moses, you take this stick, this rod. And by the way, up until that time, it had been called Moses' rod. From that day on, it is never referred to as Moses' rod again. It's called the rod of God, God's rod. And he said, you take this staff that now belongs to me, and with it, you'll be able to touch the waters of the Nile turn to blood with it you'll be able to lead the people of it with it you'll be able to strike a rock and water will come out to feed the thirsty uh, quench the thirst so i just say to you what do you have what do you have you say well i i don't have much well seven little loaves wasn't much either was it no, you don't have much. I don't have much. There's some of you have more than others, and some have less than others. But what God never asks you to use what you don't have. But He does ask you, what do you have? So, well, I, I, I have a little sphere of influence. I have, I have a ability to speak. I can smile. I can pray. I, I have a little bit. God says, okay, that's all I need is just a little bit. And they gave the seven loaves to Jesus. 
And, you know, there was a song I used to sing back when I was a teenager. It's called Little Is Much When God Is In It. Little Is Much When God Is In It. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have when you put it in God's hands, it becomes all that he needs. Do you believe that? Do we believe it in a way that it's going to make us say to God, I, I don't have much. I see all the hungry people. I, I feel for them. I want to help. But all I have is just little me. Do you believe it enough that you will say, God, take the little that I have and just use it? At work, in my neighborhood, in my family, maybe, maybe all you have is just a word of encouragement. Maybe just a word of appreciation. Maybe all you have is just a, a, an ability to say, you know, God has met my needs in a marvelous way. Maybe just a testimony. Maybe that's all you have. That's all you need if you give it to God. And then the sixth thing that I have down here is it says, and they were all filled. They were all satisfied. Don't you love to, well, not everybody does. I love to cook. I love to prepare a meal. And the greatest compliment to me, if I prepare a meal, is for people to just say, oh, wow, I'm stuffed. That was so good. I love that. And in uh, our family, we make something called chocolate gravy. Now, unless you're from the South, <laughs> some of you go, oh, chocolate gravy. <laughs> now, don't, don't, don't criticize it if you hadn't tried it. But it's, 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 huh? On biscuit, that's right. It's really like eating chocolate pie for breakfast. And the hot biscuit is like the pie crust and the chocolate we probably shouldn't call it gravy because gravy, that's what makes people go, ugh. Call it chocolate pudding. And, and you put that chocolate on there. When my grandkids come over to our house, when our grandkids are there, that's, they say, are you going to make chocolate gravy? Sure. And, man, they'll eat that stuff up. And when they get up from the table, they're oh, that was wonderful. They are filled. They're satisfied. And I am excited. I think it's a meal that met the appetite and met the need and filled them up. But do you know, we ought to get that same feeling when we're out talking to people about Jesus and somebody is filled and they're satisfied and they receive. The Lord. And we say, wow, what 
an amazing experience. And these people were filled. They were satisfied. And then the last thing, the Bible says, then they took up seven baskets of food. Earlier, when Jesus fed the multitudes on this side, it says they took up 12 baskets, but the word there, the Greek word for basket there, is the little personal basket. It's the every Jewish person would carry a little uh, container. It looked almost, it was, it, it was small at the top, and it broadened out kind of like a funnel, and, and they would have their person. That was kind of their lunch pail, and that was the word that was used over here. The word over here, when it says seven basket, is the great big basket. In fact, we read in the book of Acts that when the apostle Paul was preaching up in uh, uh, Damascus and he heard that folks were coming to get him, they, it says they, they lowered him down the wall in a basket. So it wasn't a little bitty basket. It wasn't a lunch pail. They didn't put Paul in a lunch pail. They put him in a great big hamper. And that's the word that's used in this text. They filled up seven hampers, seven big baskets of leftovers. And uh, much more. I mean, here's the miracle of ministry. Here's the miracle of ministry. We give what we have, and God multiplies it. And then he gives back to us more than we could have ever imagined having given. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. Full measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Every time I read that verse, I remember those horrible days of cotton picking. When I was a teenage boy, and we'd have to go out and pick cotton, and I... I reached an age where my daddy says, now, son, you're getting a 12-foot sack. Oh, daddy, I don't want a 12-foot sack. I like the 6-foot sack or even the seven and a half. They even had a 9-foot, but he, I don't want a 12-foot sack. Oh, you're getting a 12-foot sack, son. And you pick that cotton, pick that cotton, stick it in, and you feel like, well, there's nothing. But then after a while, it gets so heavy, you, it's, you're dragging it, and it's cutting into your neck. You're dragging that cotton. My daddy would say, well, you had not got enough in there yet. And he'd come over, and he'd take my sack, and he'd pick it up, and he would pound it down on the ground. He, and i just see that cotton packed down. I said, I thought I had a full sack. He said, no, it's just half full. So I'd pick some more. And I'd get, he'd pound it down a few more times. And then he'd come over and he'd say, I think you got room for some more. And he would grab the edge of that sack and he would press, press it down, just pack it down. I'd think, oh, man. And then finally, I'd have 60 pounds of cotton in that cotton sack. And it'd be spilling over. And when I read that verse, give and it'll be given to you pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I think, I don't like that about cotton, but I like it about God's blessings. 
That's the way I want God to bless me. I want him to give me some blessings, and I say, well, I think that's, that's enough. He said, oh, no, I'm not finished. I'm going to shake it down a little bit. Boom, 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 boom. Wow, there's room for some more. And he said, I'm going to give you some more. And he thought, wow, that's plenty. I've got more than I. He said, oh, no, I'm not through. I'm going to press it down. I'm going to pack it down. And then finally said, Lord, I, I don't know if I can take any more. He said, well, that's all right. I'm going to give you some more until it's spilling out. And that's how I really want it, spilling out. Because when it starts running over, that's when it starts blessing other people. That's when it starts spilling out on other people. And God says in this passage, they were all satisfied, and then they took up seven huge hampers of leftovers. And I tell you, God wants to bless us until we are so blessed that it's spilling over and there are big, huge hampers filled with God's blessings that we can share with other people. So, I don't know if you got the message yet. Did you get the message? You better say yes or I'll preach it again, okay? Here's the message. We look around us and we see hungry people everywhere. We say, oh, man, I wish somebody could do something about that. I sure wish Brother Nick could go minister to those people. Or I wish that uh, some other, some ministry would come in here, minister. There's just so many people. There's just hungry people everywhere. And then Jesus pulls you up, calls you by name, says, John, what do you have? You say, well, I hadn't got much. He says, that's all right. I'm not asking, do you have enough to feed everybody? I'm just asking, what do you have? You say, well, I've got my testimony. I've got the word of God. I've got a smile. I've got a word of encouragement. Then he says, put that in my hand. Let me use it. And I can take what you have, and I can make it go so far you never believe. And and I can use it beyond your imagination. And you'll be filled. Not only will others be fed, you'll get a hamper. For your own self to bless others with. So here's an invitation. Will you say to the Lord today, God, I, I don't have a lot of talent. Now, some of you couldn't say that. Some of you have a lot of talent. Tracy has a lot of talent. but So he couldn't say, well, Lord, I, I don't have much talent. But he'd say, I, whatever talent I do have, I'll give to you. I, I could say, I don't have any talent when it comes to playing the piano or singing or stuff like that. But, but I do have something. I have something. I can make cotton candy. I have something. And I just say, Lord, I don't have much. But what I have, I'm going to put it in your hands. And I'm going to put it in your hands with an awareness 
of the hunger all around. And I'm just going to trust you to use it. I can't feed the multitude with the little bit I have. But apparently you can. And I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to trust you to meet their need. And then I'm going to look for a basket. And I'm going to get a hamper. And I'm going to say, you took the little bit that I had. You did more with I can imagine. And now you're giving back to me more than I, more than I had to begin with. Isn't that exciting, really? I mean, that's exciting. And so would you pray that this morning? Let's just bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this marvelous story. And to know that you were not discriminating. You didn't just feed the Jews on the west side of the river. You fed the Gentiles on the east side of the river. And it didn't matter to you. And it says to me that it doesn't matter here that we don't look for people who are like us. We just look for people who are hungry. And we don't care what, why they're hungry. We just know they're hungry. And I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, take what little we have. We put it in your hand. And we ask you to multiply it to meet need and then give back to us a measure greater than we can imagine of blessing so we can bless others. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week. And may the Lord richly bless you.